In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, thank you, celebration singers. That was so beautiful, so beautiful. I was 35 years old when I was invited to my first Botox party. I have a friend who's a hairstylist, and she's way more classy and beautiful in every way than I could ever be. And she said, Kate, you need to come with me to this Botox party. And I said, what does that mean? She said, well, you're getting crow's feet, dear. So I went home, and I looked in the mirror, and sure enough, you know, the wrinkles, the spiders, they start coming out of your eyes. It's really weird. And then I noticed, have you noticed that in Florida, I guess because we drive, we get sunspots on this side and not that side. Have you noticed that? <laughs> Growing up with a mom who was a ballerina, I already had the propensity to look in the mirror and see what was lacking. But my friend got me spinning on all the things that are looking different and weird about my face. And then I began to think about it. I mean, Botox or no Botox, and that's fine. I think it's great for women to be beautiful and work at it. But the real problem is this. Why, when I look in the mirror, am I always looking for the thing that's wrong? Why don't I wake up and when I look in the mirror, instead of going, oh my Look at my eyes are puffy and this and that. Why don't I say to myself, I thank God that I have teeth. <laughs> I took a great big breath this morning. I'm standing up straight. Hallelujah. What is it about our minds that we are so ill that instead of looking at our beautiful bodies that work, we always go to find the one thing that's missing, or in my case, the five or six. Well, wrinkles are one thing, but what if your skin was literally flaking off? What if you had pockmarks that made acne look like nothing? What if, you know in those movies where sometimes the superhero movies, sometimes the bad guys or good guys get sort of eradicated in a way that they turn into dust and their whole body just sort of disintegrates right in front of you? Have you seen that in the movies lately? Very cool special effects, by the way. But leprosy back in Jesus' time was kind of like that in slow motion. It was a bacterial in, um, infection of the skin, which it still exists today, but we treat it now. But it was this infection where basically you started to disintegrate in front of yourself. I mean, your skin literally started to come off. And then your fingers, they would, they would literally start coming apart until there were stumps. It was a pretty awful thing to have. 
I mean, it made crow's feet look like nothing at all. So this great commander of the land of Aram named Naaman had won a lot of battles, so he was very popular with the king of Aram. The king of Aram thought he was amazing, gave him lots of servants, lots of chariots, robes, the whole works. And Naaman liked all the stuff, you know? He liked the pomp and circumstance. He liked the wealth and he liked the fame. I mean, who doesn't? But the problem was he was watching himself disintegrate. So he said, I need to find somebody who can cure me of this disease. His wife's servant had heard of a prophet in the land of Israel who could perform miracles. So Naaman writes a letter to the king of Israel saying, I hear there's a prophet who can cure me, so I'm coming on by. Now Israel was a little land, a little fragile, militarily so. So the king of Israel was really upset. This big commander is coming to my land to cure himself of an incurable disease, and if we don't cure him, he's going to attack us and take over. So I think the king of Israel suffered from some anxiety because he kind of has a, he has a panic attack. He starts tearing his clothes and freaking out. Elisha, the prophet of Israel, hears that the king is tearing his clothes. Biblical version of a panic attack, right? And he says, it's okay. Just send Naaman to me. So here comes this commander of the army of Aram with all of his horses and all of his robes and all of his servants and he, he pulls up and halts in front of Elisha's simple little dwelling. But Elisha doesn't care about all this pomp and circumstance. He sends out his servant to speak to Naaman instead of coming out himself and the servant simply says, go take a bath. Go to the River Jordan, which is very close, and bathe seven times. It'll all be fixed. And here's where things get really interesting. Naaman is just given a cure, right? He's given exactly what he's asked for. And it doesn't take much for him to be cured, but he's mad. He's really mad because he thinks his problem deserves a greater miracle. He thinks the prophet should come out and make a big deal and swing his arms around and do a big sacramental thing because he's a big deal and his problems are a big deal. He doesn't want a miracle that comes so easily. Let me say that again. He doesn't want a miracle that comes so easily. He wants to wallow in his troubles, make a big deal out of them, and have a big solution that's hard to come by and expensive and ornate. He doesn't want a miracle that's so freely given. But here's the thing about this guy, Naaman. He was a big shot. He liked all of his stuff. 
He wanted a big deal made of him, but he was also a good man. Do you know how I know this? Because his servants loved him. He was going to walk away from the miracle, and his servants, they call him father. Father, they say. Don't be an idiot. All he's asking you to do is take a bath. Why wouldn't you do it? My friends, no matter how many faults we have, we are wise if we listen to our friends, aren't we? Naaman had people who cared about him. He must have treated them well. And he was wise enough to listen when they said he was acting dumb. And so he goes and he bathes in the River Jordan seven times and his skin is as white and soft as a baby's bottom. And he praises the Lord. But Naaman almost missed out on the miracle because it was given too easily. He almost walked right on by and didn't accept it. And I'm afraid that's what we do too. We walk right by miracles every day, don't we? Focusing on all the things that are wrong in our lives. Meanwhile, 99% of our lives are beautiful and magnificent and miraculous. About eight years ago, I was going through a hard time and I went to see a therapist, which I recommend, by the way. I've done it periodically throughout my life. This guy was a very strange therapist, but he was good. I was going on and on about something, crying and agonizing, and he stopped me and he said, Kate, I know you're struggling with your relationships and this, but nothing that you're saying makes any difference when it comes to the magnificence of what God is doing for us. He said, Kate, have you ever looked at a dandelion? I said, of course I've looked at a dandelion. What does that have to do with anything I'm talking about? He said, the dandelion is a weed, but man, is it beautiful, and you can blow on it and it goes everywhere. In comparison to your problems, the dandelion dwarfs them and it is so beautiful, but you're walking right by it, aren't you? And I said, yes, I, I guess I am. I'm walking by the good stuff so I can look at the bad stuff. What if in our culture our news focused on the good news instead of the bad news? What if we talked about things like this? Retired couple dresses up as Star Wars figures and goes into children's hospital once a week. Widow builds a library outside her home during the pandemic so children can have books to read. Lonely man sitting in his home decides to call everyone he knows just to check on them. Five-year-old is adopted by a family and given a home. 
You see, in our culture, we are made ill because our culture wants us to focus on what we don't have because they want us to buy more stuff. So we are trained to look in the mirror and see what is wrong, to look at our lives and see what is lacking, to look at our relationships and see what doesn't work as opposed to what does. But we, as followers of Jesus, we don't necessarily have to continue to live in this culture of lacking and addiction and what is wrong. We can choose something else. In fact, Jesus tells us, he tells us how to see the world differently. He says to us, the kingdom of heaven is near you. The kingdom of heaven is all around you. All you have to do is see it. In the gospel for today, Jesus cures 10 lepers, right? He cures them right then and there. Nine of them just go off, and one of them turns around and says, thank you. And when that one turns around and says, thank you, Jesus says to him something really important. He says, your faith has made you well. Your faith has made you well. So the nine went on, and they were physically healed, but they weren't spiritually healed. The one who came back and learned how to see what is good and learned how to say thank you, that one was made truly well. And if you and I want to learn how to see the world as Christ sees the world, if we want to be made well, then we also have to learn how to practice gratitude. We have to learn how to stand in front of the mirror and say, I thank God that I have teeth. Have you been to the eye doctor lately? Do you know they show your eye up on the screen now? And it looks so amazing. It's like the universe itself in your eye. Have you thought about waking up every morning and saying, I thank you, Lord, that I can see? Because I have no idea how it works. I shouldn't even be here if the odds were right. I don't understand how I was born, how I breathe, and I don't understand how I see, but thank you that I do. I have a cousin who lives in Washington, D.C. He's a busy lawyer. He works for um, PBS. And he has a toddler and a wife, and he's trying to make a living working for a nonprofit in Washington, D.C., and he's busy. And he has lots of things to worry about and lots of problems to figure out. But he started doing this practice that I love. I wrote about it in my new book. My cousin Richard does what he calls the ABCs. Every day, while he's running around, he gives thanks for everything that begins with the letter A, then B, then C, and he goes through the alphabet. And what it does is it trains his mind to gravitate from what's wrong, what's wrong, what's wrong, what's wrong, to, oh, what's right, what's good, what do I give thanks for? And he said when he started this practice, it was really hard. He couldn't think of anything. But now that he's been doing it every day for a few years, bam, the gratitude, it pops like popcorn. It comes. By the way, did you see the moon last night? 
talk about something to give thanks for. How is that possible? Meanwhile, I want to worry about how I couldn't stream my phone onto my TV set. My friends, as followers of Jesus, we're going to have to learn to swim upstream. We're going to learn to think in a healthy way. We've got to start again. Every moment from the time we wake up till the time we go to bed. Not that we don't address our problems and take them seriously, but let's never allow ourselves to be consumed by negativity, by anxiety, by focusing on the things that are wrong when so much is right. Look at this place, how beautiful it is. Do you know what the word Eucharist means? It means thanksgiving. Jesus wanted us to give thanks together all the time for everything, for every breath that we take, because by our rights we shouldn't even be here. It is a miracle that we exist at all. And every day is a gift. And the kingdom of heaven is all around you. All we need to do is learn how to see it and practice appreciating it. It's everywhere. God's love for you is everywhere. Amen.